you've joined us in week two of a series called Field of Dreams. I've been looking, for this, looking forward to this series for a really long time because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I wouldn't just throw up clips from one of my favorite movies just because it's my favorite. Uh, I think this is a powerful movie. I think this is a movie that you can pull a lot of life lessons from. You, I love to watch movies and pull truths out of them. A disclaimer, it's not a Christian movie. It's not a movie like for Christians or uh, and I, they don't really talk about God or anything like that. And so uh, I'm just kind of pulling some things I see in Scripture and uh, it, it kind of relates to some of these scenes. A lot of, a lot of things that we can learn from it. So, uh, so you're joining us in week two. And last week we met this guy on character played by Kevin Costner. His name is Ray Kinsella. And he kind of uh, at the beginning gives a, a history of he and his father. His mother died when he was very young. And he and his father uh, just had some really hard times when he was growing up. His father's favorite baseball player ever was a player for the Chicago White Sox. His name was Shoeless Joe Jackson. And he was end up getting kicked out of baseball because they claimed that he betted on baseball, but a lot of people believed he never really um, and never really threw a game, never really intentionally lost a game, but he was kicked out of baseball. And one of the things that uh, Ray Kinsella says is that he, told, he once told his father, I could never respect a man that, whose favorite player was a criminal. And he, it's one of those things that he said to his father, not because he believed it was true, but he just said it to hurt his father. And so uh, throughout... Uh, the, the beginning of the story, you see Ray Kinsella. He owns a, a, a corn farm, cornfields in Iowa. He has a wife. He has a daughter. And he's walking through the corn one day, and he hears this whisper. And it says, if you build it, he will come. And he doesn't know what this means at first. And he tells his wife about it, and they can't figure it out. But he keeps hearing this whisper. And one day he's looking out on his cornfield, and he has a vision, and he sees a baseball field appear in the middle of his corn, and then the vision goes away. And so he keeps thinking about it, he tells his wife about it, and he finally tells her, I think this means that I'm supposed to cut the corn down and build a baseball field, and if I do that, I think Shoeless Joe Jackson is going to get to come back and play baseball again. Now, Shoeless Joe Jackson had long since been dead. And so this is really something supernatural that they're talking about, but he really believes in his heart this is what he's supposed to do. So he has a really supportive wife, and she says, if you believe it, like, okay, let's do it. So they cut down the corn. They spend all of their savings to build this baseball field. I mean, it's a whole legit field. They put the lights in so you can play at night, and it's a beautiful baseball field in the middle of a corn farm. And so that's kind of where we last left off uh, from Ray Kinsella. And so uh, that leads us into this next scene. And so uh, they're, he and his wife are sitting down at the table, and they're talking about the financial strain that it that it is to keep this baseball field up. I really love this scene because something supernatural happens out there on that field. Shoeless Joe Jackson comes back. He walks right out of the corn uh, 
and he's on a baseball field, and he's a young man, and he's playing baseball with this guy, Ray Kinsella. And I think there's a lot of powerful lessons that you can take from this movie. One of them is that great dreams require something supernatural. I believe that God wants to give us all a dream, and it's going to require something supernatural in order to achieve it. I believe that God has a plan for your life. When I, I, I used to lead an internship program, and one girl came to our internship, came to our Bible college from Germany. And I, I asked her, you know, what's your story? How, how did you end up here? She said, well, I, heard of, I saw a video of Joyce Meyer preaching one time, and Joyce Meyer said, God has a plan for your life. And I had never heard that before. And so I decided if God has a plan for my life, I want to find out what it is, and I want to be ready for it, and that's why I came to Bible college. And I was like, wow. Growing up in Germany, she had never heard until that moment that God has a plan for your life. That in itself is a miracle, just that God has a dream for you, isn't it? And not only that, but God has a supernatural dream in, in store for you. And it's exciting. When you, when you read Scripture, you open up this book, and you see so many incredible stories. Ordinary men and women like you and me, used by God, just natural people, but God causes something supernatural to happen, and he uses them in amazing ways. Uh, Noah. God uses Noah to build an ark and supernaturally causes all of these animals to show up and actually get along with each other, and they go onto the ark, and the lions and the zebras are getting along with each other. Snakes are not biting anybody. All these animals, even the little bugs, can you imagine bugs just marching onto the ark? Something supernatural happens when we surrender to God. How about Daniel? You remember Daniel was a prophet of God, and he always prayed to God three times a day. They made a law against it. People that hated Daniel because he had so much favor with the king. They said, you need to make a law against praying to anybody except for you, king. And so they, Daniel, he doesn't obey that law. He's going to pray to God no matter what. And so the punishment is he has to get thrown into a lion's den. And they throw him into the lion's den. But God sends angels down, and they supernaturally shut the mouths of the lions. And so Daniel is just hanging out with lions, with hungry lions, I imagine Daniel just kind of leaning against a lion, like sleeping against and hearing the heartbeat of a lion just chilling out. That's supernatural. How about, uh, how about the, the three Hebrew young men who are in a similar situation as Daniel? They said, you can't worship any other gods. And these three Hebrew men, they said, well, we're going to worship our God no matter what. And they said, well, if you do, we're going to throw you into a furnace. How about that? And they said, well, our God will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him alone. And so they said, okay, get the, get the furnace, order it seven times hotter than you've ever made it. And so they, they do that, and uh, some of the soldiers that were carrying these three guys to throw them in the furnace, the soldiers just getting close enough to the heat killed the soldiers trying to throw them in. And they throw these three guys in, and uh, they look, they kind of looking into the furnace, and they see them just standing around. And as a matter of fact, they see a fourth person in the fire, 
And that was Jesus. Jesus was there, the fourth person in the fire. And they finally like, well, they're not going to burn up. They pull them out, and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. That is something supernatural. Those are Old Testament stories, you might say. What about the New Testament? When Jesus was here, uh, he told us, he told his disciples, but it's, he's really telling all of us that we too can experience the supernatural, that he's going to use us in supernatural ways. He said that when I go, uh, you are going to do the things that I've done, and you're going to do even greater things. And so these 12 apostles, he says, you guys are going to go into all the world. Signs and wonders are going to follow you when you preach the gospel. I've gotten the privilege to preach the gospel in a lot of different countries and in uh, South America, Central America, some countries in Europe and Asia. And it's amazing. Signs and wonders really do follow the gospel. I remember being in Mexico, and there was a man that was hearing the gospel. He gave his life to Jesus. We prayed with him. That's a miracle. That's supernatural right there in itself. But this guy couldn't see. He couldn't see very well. He could see just a little bit. We asked him to read like some street signs. Couldn't read it. Uh, the team that I was with just prayed for him. They put their hands on him. God, I pray this man would receive his sight. Just a very simple prayer. And instantly, he goes, whoa, I can see. I can see. And I'm like, okay, read those street signs. He reads them perfectly. Okay, find something a little bit further. Can you read that? He can see just as good as a young man. It was amazing. It was a miracle. I uh, prayed with this young lady. I think it was in Peru. And she came up to me, and she could just barely breathe. We had been preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. People are getting saved and set free. It's powerful. But this young lady could barely breathe. She's a young lady. She had tuberculosis. And she felt like she could die from this, and she was struggling to breathe. And so just some, me and a few young people just sitting around just prayed for her. God, heal this woman's lungs. Heal this tuberculosis in Jesus' name. And instantly, she was able to breathe. And we could tell a noticeable difference in her breathing. She started crying. I'm healed. I'm healed. God healed me. It wasn't, certainly wasn't me. It wasn't anybody that I was with. But God can use us in supernatural ways. And it's God that's working. It's God that was working in Daniel and in these Hebrew uh, children, in, in Noah. It was God that causes it always to happen. But God can use you in supernatural ways. One of the, one of the stories that after Jesus had died and rose again and he left and he said, it's your job now. I want you to go. Go every nation, preach the gospel, make disciples, signs and wonders will follow. And so the 12 apostles, they're doing ministry. They're preaching. So many people are getting saved. Miracles are happening. And there was a complaint that said some of the widows are not getting fed. They're not getting served. We need to do a better job of serving the widows. And so they say, okay, we agree with this. Uh, but we cannot stop preaching. Like God is moving right now. We've got to keep spreading the word. So let's find seven deacons. Let's find seven guys that have a good reputation, that love God, and that can serve. And that can serve these widows and can serve tables. So they find seven guys. One of, one of them was Stephen, who went on to be this incredible prophet, preacher. He ended up being martyred for his faith in Jesus, stoned to death. But another guy was Philip. And Philip 
Remember, he starts just by serving tables, just by serving food, serving the widows. But God goes on to use him. He becomes an evangelist. He's traveling all throughout the country, and signs and wonders are happening. People are getting healed. People that had demons inside of them, the demons were being cast out, and the people were being set free. Something supernatural was happening. An angel shows up to Philip. Now, this is New Testament. This is New Covenant, the same covenant that you and I have with God, a new and a better covenant than the old one. An angel shows up to Philip and he says, go down the road, there's an Ethiopian coming. You've got to preach to him. You've got to tell him about Jesus. He goes, he finds this Ethiopian. This Ethiopian is reading the book of Isaiah. He didn't know what he was really reading and Philip says, do you know what you're reading? He says, oh, I need somebody to teach it to me. He opens his mouth, Philip, and God just gives him the words. And he starts telling him all the prophecies, all how the scripture was fulfilled about Jesus, that he is God's own son. He died on the cross so that you can be saved and forgiven. The Ethiopian guy, I want this. I want this. And they pray together, and the Ethiopian guy is saved, and there's some water right on the side of the road. They go in, and, and they're like, let's, let's, let's get baptized. I want to baptize you. So Philip baptizes this Ethiopian guy. As soon as the guy comes up out of the water, Philip disappears. Just poof, vanishes into thin air, and he finds himself in, in, a, in another city far away, just like that, that the Holy Spirit carried him away, and he's in another city, and he starts preaching there too. Something supernatural is happening, and I think that God wants to use us in supernatural ways. Now, if you, uh, if you don't think that God has supernatural plans in store for you, then you might have forgotten the greatest miracle that's already happened to you if you're saved. If you are saved, then something supernatural has already taken place in you. You have a testimony of something supernatural happening and because it's only something that Jesus could accomplish. When he died and when he rose again, he did something that you could not do in the natural. He added super to your natural. He wants to do something like that in us again. Not only are we saved, but he has a plan. When we get saved, that plan is activated. It's like, okay, they're set free. No more sin. No more uh, condemnation. No more shame. It's a reset. And now, God's plan that he has for you, it's put in action. Now it's time to get to work. You're not saved by your own strength, were you? You were saved by something supernatural that happened. Well, when you get saved, the supernatural power of God doesn't leave you. It's not a one-time only. You're saved. Now you're done. That's the one time I could give you my power. That was it. Now you're on your own. That's not how it works. That's just the beginning of God pouring out his spirit on us. He starts with salvation, and then he's got a plan for us. And it's time for you and I to live sold out 100%, all in, head first for God's plan for our life. Our life is so fast. The book of James says it's just like a vapor, poof, and it is gone. Think about eternity for a second. Does eternity blow your mind? It blows my mind to think about I'm going to live 
for millions of years, for billions of years, for trillions of years. What's after trillion? Quadrillions of years. It's just going to keep going. We're going to live, but we're not going to live that long on this earth, are we? It's so quick, but we've got to make it count. If you saw this clip of uh, Ray Kinsella playing baseball with shoeless Joe Jackson, you might be able to relate with Ray because Ray is out there. He's, he's like, oh, let's see if you can hit my curveball. And he almost gets you know, taken out by this guy. And then he's, he's trying to uh, hit the ball out to him in the outfield, and he just totally misses it, and it goes like three feet. That's how a lot of us are. Like We, we know in Scripture that God says he's going to use us, that God has great things in store for us, but we feel awkward. We feel incapable. We feel sometimes like we don't quite have what it takes. The truth is, we don't. We are incapable. We are awkward. We are uncomfortable. But God uses us anyway. Just like shoeless Joe Jackson, he showed up on that field anyway. And Ray was able to hit some balls anyways, despite his awkwardness. I'll, tell, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm in ministry. I feel awkward all the time. I feel like there are so many situations where I have no idea what to say to people. It happens all the time. And, I, I, and I'm telling you, I, I, just the other day, there was a guy, I walked up to him, and I said, Hi, my name is Kevin. He's like, yeah, we've actually met a few times. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm bad with names and faces, evidently. But he was gracious about it. I've made so many mistakes in ministry. It's amazing that God still uses me. Um, when I was uh, a youth pastor here before, um, we had this uh, PlayStation 3, and it was new. It was when PS3 was new, so it was kind of a big deal. But uh, everybody was playing it, but one day something went wrong with it, and it just wasn't working. It was like a blue screen, and I couldn't figure it out. And uh, there was this kid, kind of a kid that was really, really not that trustworthy, but he goes, I can fix it. I can fix that. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I can fix that. Let me take it home. I'll work on it, and uh, I'll fix it for you. I'm like, okay. I give him the PS3. That was the last time I ever saw that PS3. Gone. <laughs> Gone forever. Some of the other youth staff were like, where's the PS3? I'm like, guys, we don't need a PS3. Let's get an Xbox. Everybody loves Xbox. Um. One time when I was a junior high youth pastor, uh, I, I, was, I was preaching to the junior hires. I don't know what to talk about. I was talking about one day how I hate turtlenecks, like the turtleneck shirts. And I was talking about how dorky they are and just how terrible they feel when you put them on because it's like claustrophobic with the turtleneck. And, uh, so, but then we, it kind of became a thing. We kind of joked about it. And so we decided one day let's have turtleneck Sunday at church. Everybody wear a turtleneck. We'll take a group picture. I was like the only one that showed up with the turtleneck on. Just me. I went to Goodwill and got a turtleneck. The one that I found was like a flesh-colored turtleneck, too. I was like, oh, this will be funny. It turned out like it looked a lot more disgusting than it was funny. Um, But all of our awkwardness, all of our incapabilities, all of our uncomfortableness God uses us in supernatural ways anyway, doesn't he? 
Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you get intimidated with big dreams. Like if you sense that God has a big dream in store for you, and he does, maybe you get intimidated by that. Maybe there's a fear of failure, a fear of messing up in front of everybody, a fear of other people's opinions. Maybe you feel uncomfortable. You feel incapable. That's okay because when you are weak, God is strong. Amen? In fact, God loves to use awkward people. He does this all throughout Scripture. Moses couldn't speak well. Did you know that? When God first appears to Moses in a burning bush, he's like, I'm not your guy. I can't even speak well. God's like, I know, you're my guy. Don't argue with me. You're my guy. And I think God says that to us. Don't argue with me. I know what I'm doing. I've called you. I've chosen you. I have a dream in store for you. It's a big, big dream. But it's going to require something supernatural. Rahab story about Rahab in the Old Testament, she had been a prostitute, and then God used her and changed her life. Gideon, Gideon was a judge. He was uh, the weakest in his family, and his family was the weakest in Israel. David was the, the least in his family. He wasn't even a soldier like the rest of his brothers. When he fought Goliath, he was just like a delivery boy, uh, bringing food to his brothers who were on the battlefield. He was a shepherd. And then most of Jesus' disciples were humble fishermen, tax collectors, people that nobody really thought much of. These are the people that turned the world upside down for Jesus. These are the the people that God used in supernatural ways. God can use our weaknesses to show that he is strong. God gets the most glory out of using weak people, awkward people, incapable people. If you can do it on your own, then God doesn't really get any glory from that. But if you need God in order for it to happen, if you are desperate for God in order to achieve it, and you need God's help desperately, God is going to get glory from you accomplishing the dream he's put in your life. But you've got to have God, and you've got to have something supernatural. I'll tell you what one of my dreams is. One of my dreams is that Genesis would be a place full of people that love to reach people. That's a dream, that we would be full of people that want to lead others to Jesus. And I know leading people to Jesus is often a very intimidating thing. What do I say to them? What if they laugh at me? What if I invite them and they just totally reject me? What if they don't want to have anything to do with me? Why can't I just be a good example And they can see all my good works on social media. And maybe that will lead them to Jesus. Why can't I just leave it at that? God has called us, all of us, not just the preacher, not just the pastors, not just the leaders. He has called all of us to be people that lead others to him. You, you're the one. You're the one that God wants to use in a supernatural way. If you can lead somebody to Jesus, I'm telling you, that is a greater accomplishment than anything else. That is a greater accomplishment than climbing to the top of Mount Everest. It is a greater accomplishment than walking on the moon because that just lasts a very brief time. But when you lead somebody to Jesus, 
that lasts an eternity. I'm telling you, I don't know what God's dream is for you specifically, but I know this, that God has called you to reach people. And I want to ask you to help us reach people. I believe that's what we are called to do here at Genesis. We're called to reach people. People that are lost, people that are messy, people that are rough around the edges, let's reach them. Let's let God use us to do something supernatural. Because when we lead people to Jesus and they get saved and they get a relationship with God and their their eyes get opened up to the power of God, to the love of God, to the depths of the love of God, that is something supernatural, is it not? Think about the boy that brings these uh, little loaves of bread and a couple of fishes to Jesus. Jesus is wanting to feed a huge crowd, but all they have is this little boy that comes up, I got something. It's not very much, but I got something. And Jesus takes these five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish, and he brings the super to this boy's natural. And he feeds 5,000 men. They didn't count women and children when they were accounting for everybody. So it was probably at least 15,000 people. And Jesus takes this boy's natural and he brings the super to it. And that is what God can do with you and I. If we will just give him our natural, he will add the super. But, but what if I can't? I don't even know anybody who, who needs to be led to Jesus. And what if they already know Jesus? I don't want to offend them. Just give him a little bit of your natural. Give him a little bit of your time, a little bit of your effort. Give him a little bit of courage, a little bit of faith, and say, here goes nothing. No guts, no glory. Hey, I want to invite you to Genesis. I want to invite you to church. Hey, how's your relationship with God doing? You're waiting. What's going to happen if I ask those questions? Maybe something supernatural could happen. Amen? Give him a little bit of your natural. He will add the super to it. I want to close with three steps, three things that you need to know and this is going to help you take your first step because God has a dream for you, and you can do it. You can do it through him because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Number one, be willing to be a fool. I'm good at this one. I can do this one. Uh, most of us can do this one. Be willing to be a fool. Uh, I've been a fool for Christ more times than I can remember but God has still been able to use me a few times along the way. You know that kid that stole that PS3, never brought it back? I, uh, I got a call from him one day from jail. He called me from jail. And he, uh, he's like, uh, can you come up and talk to me? I just need to talk to somebody. So I'm like, sure. I'm going to go find out where this PS3 is. <laughs> I'm sitting across from him, this plexiglass in between us, and I'm looking at a, a kid that's just completely broken, completely rock bottom. I didn't ask him about the PS3. But I was able, by the grace of God, to lead him to Jesus and pray with him. And he got his life right with God. And that is all that matters. And not a PS3, but be willing to be a fool. Be willing to do whatever it takes. God is going to use you along the way. You're not going to hit a home run every time. 
It's okay. Be willing to be a fool. Be willing to be humbled before God. God's going to use you. Number two, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You just got to get started. Don't worry about starting too small. Just start. Just start somewhere. Whatever it is that God's dream is for you, just start somewhere. Don't say, well, I'm just going to wait one day until it all comes together. It doesn't work like that. You just got to start building it one piece at a time. And don't be afraid to start small. Just go for it. Noah had to start with just one piece of wood, a hammer and some nails. And that's how we start. And he built an ark over 100 years. Invite somebody to Genesis. Just start small. Just invite them. See what happens. Invite them a second time. Maybe you feel like you're supposed to help a missionary. Maybe you feel like you're supposed to be a missionary or you're supposed to support missionaries. Find a missionary. Send them 50 bucks. Start small. Do something. Maybe your dream is to start your own business someday. Start praying I pray, Lord, it would be a season. Pray, Lord, that you just reveal. 